Yeah, gaming for me uh, really solidified when I was in college and played a game of ninjas and super spies using palladium rules, and we had a 12-hour session where I was GMing, and eight of those hours was a car chase. How we managed to run for eight hours is beyond me, and I have no idea. I don't think I could do it again if I tried. We had more fun laughing our butts off than anything else. So for me, gaming is friends, good rules, and a good story. And, uh, yeah, without it, I'd be a much boring, more boring person. Uh, my name is Brian Fitzpatrick, and I am the Gamerati. Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. This is the Vorpal Network. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon store. Hey, this is Mike Merles, lead developer of 4th Edition, and you're listening to The Tome. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, we're going to travel through time as we discuss last year in D&D and speculate on the next one. And joining us today is the Tome's own editor, Sam Dillon. Hello. And also we have the host of Icosahedrophilia, the... In, uh, I can't say that word. <laughs> the awesome Christopher Hurd. So much Thank for no for editing. Thank you for the introduction, Jeff. No, no, no. You don't have to edit that. I don't mind looking like an idiot. <laughs> I was going to say that one word, but, you know, it's like S- st- st- whatever. Certainly your uh, appearance on the episode will do uh, be much more fantastic than my introduction of your appearance on the episode. Uh, well, now you're setting your standards way too high. <laughs> Well, good. Well, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, we're going to s- skip over a lot of the news sort of stuff because this whole episode is really kind of newsy. Um, there's not a lot of new stuff to talk about with D&D Next. Um, they've just, I mean, they've sort of released some clarifications, things like, no, we're not going to find a way for you to actually play first edition characters with fourth edition characters. We're going to create a game that encompasses the spirit of multiple editions. Um, but those are all sort of things that I think we mostly new anyway, or most of us speculated anyway. So um, we're still kind of waiting for the open play test to happen, and that's pretty much all we have for D&D Next, right? Did I miss anything else? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, and people should look for upcoming episodes. We are going to, or we have our book club episode coming along. Uh, we are reading Shadowbane by Eric Scott DeBee, and uh, Mr. DeBee has already agreed to come on for that episode, so we'll be talking to him. Woo-hoo. I know Tracy's tearing into it like crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How far along are you? Have you started yet? <laughs> There's a book. Um, I, I I know about the book, uh, and I know Eric's got to be read it, and that it's going to be awesome. So you haven't actually read it yet, huh? No, I've been a little... <laughs> but in fairness, you read like a book in a week, don't you? I I could probably read Shadowbane in a day. In a day? Wow. But yeah. only, only because it's that good. It's that intensive of a page turner. Right. Okay. Well, according to Kindle, I am 17% of the way through the book now, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So people should make sure to check that out and join us in that ep- for that episode. Sweet. And we're also going to be talking about Heroes of the Elemental Chaos, which, um, as we record this, just came out uh, – well, at least it came out in premiere stores a few days ago. Um, now, who knows, you know, depending on editing and show note writing and all that, when you'll actually hear this. But uh, it has recently come out in premiere stores and will, will be out in normal – 
stores, I guess, um, shortly. And I suspect that when we record that episode, we may be giving away a copy of that book. Woohoo! I'm just putting that out there. Now, in order for that to happen, Tracy and I need to have some secret conversations about uh, the possible return of doing the live broadcast with a chat room again. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun, the, the times we made it work, and then the technology you know, shut down on us. Uh, but I had, some, I had some ideas on how to make that work again, so I need to talk to, to my cohort over here to make that happen. But anyway, I guess it's time to get into the episode. we got a lot to talk about. What are we going to be talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Today we're going to do a, a look back at the last year of D&D. Uh, there have been a lot of things going on. A lot has happened in the last 12 months or so, and uh, we thought it might be worth the, our time and, and have a lot of fun sort of looking back and talking about what those things were. And, uh, and talking about that stuff will definitely help with the second half of our episode that we'll do much later. <laughs> looking ahead at the year to come where we'll discuss what we're doing, uh, some of which may rely on known and unannounced information. Hmm. And uh, some is going to be wild speculation. Right on. And in, along the way, we're going to throw in some extra insights. Uh, we were granted a an exclusive email interview with the top dog of D&D, Mike Merles. Um, we, so we don't have audio. It's all done through email, but we're going to throw in some of that inf- information as we discuss. It's been shared with all of our hosts here, so we can all sort of bring it up as it becomes relevant. And then uh, I will also make the text of that interview available I- through a link in the show notes at thetomeshow.com. Sound good? Everybody ready for that? I'm sure. Ready. All right. Don't sound too excited. Round one, fight. <laughs> All right, so year in review. We have uh, a whole bevy of topics here to talk about over the things that have happened in the last year. Uh, who wants to pick something to go first? I will. We can talk about the character themes. Make it into the post-Dark Sun mainstream. Right. I love character themes. Character themes are fun. Now, they changed a little bit, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Dark Sun themes were, uh, were, I guess, a little bit more robust than what they've put out for the mainstream themes. Is that fair? <clears throat> Why do you say that? Uh, Dark Sun themes, you could, you know, had powers that, that would range from 1 to one to 30. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and they, I don't know, they just, I just felt like they, they did more in the same way that, like, uh, backgrounds were just, were awesome all around, but a little bit more exciting in the Forgotten Realms where they were introduced and they were a little bit more powerful. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I yeah. just, I guess I, I needed clarification on what you meant by robust. Uh, a a d- so. deeper level of support. Got it. Or more support, I guess, throughout the campaign. Mm. But. Okay. I guess that's fair to say then. Uh, have, how, many, how many of you guys have actually used character themes then since they've come out? Well, I, well, I usually GM, so. I have not used any on a on a personal character. But are they using them at your table? Are the other are the players using them? Um, no, because we we really haven't started a new campaign, so we've kind of had the same characters for quite a while. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm usually DMing. Um, although I've built a new LFR character for a upcoming convention this weekend, and uh, used one of the themes from the uh, Neverwinter campaign guide so um 
you know, I've looked into them a little bit. I, I allowed my players to plug them in if they wanted to, just to kind of retcon their characters uh, by adding a theme, essentially. Uh, though, to tell you the truth, I haven't paid all that much attention to whether they did or didn't. Mm-hmm. And Tracy, what about you? What's your actual in-play experience been with themes? I think I use them at cons, but that's about it. So it sounds to me like we're all very excited about character themes in theory, more than we are in practice. Well, I think, so, part of the problem is that I I love themes, but you sort of need them, in my mind at least, maybe this is sort of an artificial barrier I'm placing upon my own game, but you kind of need them from the beginning, and then the character gets to sort of grow into making that theme really a part of the character, versus just, you know give them the option to slap it on later, which is a great option, but, you know, it's not all that enticing when you're already, you know, 12th or 15th level. Well, and and my experience with using them at conventions was that they helped a lot be- mm-hmm. because uh, I might not know anything about Neverwinter because that was the one where I, I saw it most often, but by, by being able to pick a theme, I quickly had some stuff that I could roleplay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Sure. And, and I think that's where, where themes do really well. Um, I think themes, when handled similar to good use of Paragon Paths and Epic Destinies, mm-hmm. um, are where you can do really well with them, you know? I, I feel like, you know, in, in my in my 1 to 30 campaign, which I'm, we're on level 23 now, I, we, you know, we did Paragon Paths, and they were pretty cool. But most of them didn't, like directly become part of the story of, of the campaign. Mm-hmm. And so they were alright, but not, not a big deal. The Epic Destinies, as a DM, I made it a point to make the stories include the concept of all their Epic Destinies. Every single one of them plays mm-hmm. into the story of the campaign in some way, shape, or form. And suddenly the Epic Destinies are way cool and they're really excited about them. So I feel like you can do the same thing with character themes. And that if you're if a good DM will take hold of them and, and find out learn about them and incorporate your theme directly into the campaign into the story, I think there's a lot a lot there that can be awesome. Uh, I do kind of wish there was more sort of discussion or support on how to do that and do that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that, and that's sort of why I I questioned your use of the word robust because I think mm-hmm. if you if you start with even the post Dark Sun, you know, the the the, the sort of non robust version of the theme is still really nice. Uh, but you ha- you kind of have to start with it. You can't mm-hmm. can't just throw it on later. Well, well it, you can, but it just doesn't have the same effect. Right, and I and I also f- sort of feel like the ones that are setting specific, like Dark Sun or like Neverwinter, have a little bit more oomph in the story because they're directly connected to the setting. Right. You know, whereas the other mm-hmm. ones are, are a little more generic and. And they have to be right. to be transportable between right. worlds. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Who wants to pick a t- uh, one of our topics for ne- the next uh, discussion? Don't all go at once. <laughs> about How about the Abyssal Plague? All right, Sam, what's the Abyssal Plague? Oh, you're going to make me describe it? Uh-huh. It's the world-spanning event that... Uh, is sort of, uh, I didn't. Well, I'll be honest and say I didn't really use it in my game. But uh, from from the way I understand it, it is a way to sort of bring 
uh, I I don't know it well enough to to really describe it fairly. Somebody else is going to have to describe it. Okay, I'll take a shot at it. Um, the abyssal plague is is an event that happened has has been sort of described as happening across different worlds of in in D and D. What you know, so mm-hmm. there's been a few novels in Dark Sun describing the abyssal plague, and in the Forgotten Realms, and in Eberron, and then in the core setting. Um, there's a, a a sort of a core story of what's going on with the Abyssal Plague, and then there's all these other sort of stories of things happening in other worlds because of the Abyssal Plague. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that it's made much impact outside of these novels. You know, there's been, what, some monster entries? We've gotten some of the monsters from yeah. the Abyssal Plague, and yeah. that, that's really about it, isn't it? Yeah. Plague demons and Abyssal goos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, this could have been... In my head, this... It, I, when they announced it, I expected a bigger event. Do you know what I mean? Well, so, what I was going to say was, before, when I was trying to talk about it, I, I think, to me, I sort of saw it as a way to... You could actually bridge the different worlds, and if your if your game was happening in Dark Sun or Forgotten Realms, it it would be a nice way to sort of give the opportunity for your your players to end up seeing things from a different world or getting a different perspective on their particular world that they're on or their setting that they're in and but but then I, I feel like it didn't receive a whole heck of a lot of support in that way mm-hmm. um, but I don't I don't necessarily I think what happened was um, to be honest I think they they really started gearing up for D&D next and and you know it's sort of one of those where do we put an awful lot of energy into this and trying to make it the greatest thing ever or or do we just sort of let it go as it is and work on D&D next and and make that sort of the best thing ever and I think they made their decision um, and I think a little bit the Abyssal Plague suffers for it but I don't think that it was I don't think it's a deal breaker I don't think it ruined anything or you know what I mean mm-hmm so it was okay. I think that's why it was sort of why they made that decision because it wouldn't ruin anything to just sort of let it go and not support it a great deal. No, that's fair. And, I, and then the the novels I've read that have been connected to the Abyssal Plague are some of the better novels that I've read recently. So, mm-hmm. knowing little about the rest of the Abyssal Plagues, I've read basically uh, a couple of the Forgotten Realms novels that intersect with the Abyssal Plague, uh, but I haven't read the, the actual core Abyssal Plague novels. And so without having read those, I'm still getting a lot out of the the tangentially connected books. So, Yeah. I was just kind of, when they first announced it, I'm like, oh, this, you know, I don't know if this is going to be something small, like just a, a, a series of novels like, the, like, the, like they've got, or I thought there was potential that it could be, you know, that and an adventure path, you know, a whole series uh, of adventures released and, you know, this big discussion of it and, you know, lots of articles sort of supporting it and all that kind of stuff. I, right. Um, and I, I think that it sort of seemed like they might have had that in mind, but like I said, that that's why I said it feels like they didn't support it as much as they had planned on it. Maybe. Chris, I, I feel like I cut you off. Did I did I cut you short? Uh, no, I don't think so. Everything I know about the Abyssal Plague, I learned from one short story by James Wyatt. So um, <laughs> it's not something that I am really knowledgeable about. Yeah, it, it did. It does seem, though. I mean, at least it sort of canonizes the idea that all the different D and D worlds are part of a multiverse, so to speak. It does, uh, which I think yeah. has never really been official. 
Uh, it, it hasn't been official, I don't believe, since second edition. Now, in second edition, it was with Planescape and Spelljammer and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but since third edition came out, they've sort of let the different settings stand on their own. And even in second edition, you really didn't. People, unless they were actually playing Spelljammer, didn't really horse around with that too much. At least in my experience, and so from we, we what did I've that, read, we did that all the time. My mule gladiator in in Cormier was killing mm-hmm. everybody because a dark sun character in any other setting was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So next up, per- perhaps that's why they didn't put that in third edition. Ah, <laughs> uh, whatever. From the <laughs> abyssal plague into the shadow plague, we have the Dungeons and Dragons comics. Now these I've read. I thought you might have uh, read through these. And we actually had a uh, book club episode about them. Since I know Tracy is a huge fan of comic books. Wait, that was about the Shadow Plague? (laughs) 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 So, yeah, these are easily the best D&D comics ever written. And honestly, probably my favorite comics to be reading out of all of my comics right now are the D&D comics. Which is saying something, because I'm a huge DC Comics fan, and there's a lot of crazy things going on in DC Comics right now, and yet, whenever I... The first thing I'll read when I get new comics is the D&D comic. Yeah, it's pretty much the only comic I regularly read that in the uh, IDW's new Star Trek comic. Um, I've really been enjoying the D&D uh, comic, The Adventures of Fels 5. Mm-hmm. So I know Tracy read read some of them. Sam, have you read any of them? No. The uh, extent of my exposure to those is the wonderful D&D comic book review that you guys did. Very good. And yet you weren't convinced to go out and, and get them right away? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but not because, of the, not because of the comic or the quality of the commentary. <laughs> oh, I see. Very good. Well, and I have to I have to partition what I read and most of what I read is academic journals right now. So I, I don't have a brain to to soak in comics. I understand that. And I sympathize. Um <laughs> when, you, when you get the opportunity though, keep an eye out. I know uh I read I've been reading all my comics digitally lately and every now and then mm-hmm. they'll have a sale. So if you keep your eyes open, um, I think it was just well, a few few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, they had a sale where all mm-hmm. of the D and D comics were ninety nine cents. So you could catch oh. up. You could catch up on all of them really cheap. Yeah. Cool. Well, and even in I've a been seeing month. I've been seeing the hardback. Yeah. And the hardbacks are cool because they actually look like D and D modules. Yeah. Chris, you were saying something. Would just. Oh, I was just you saying that even even, the- even under normal circumstances, um, IDW prices the digital comics at one ninety nine uh, a month after they've been released. Yeah. So when a new when uh, a new issue is released, the old issues then drop from whatever it is three ninety nine to one ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind being a month behind, you know you can save yourself a couple of dollars a month on the cover price. Yeah, I do that with all my comics. All because uh, DC does the same thing with theirs, and so I buy all my comics a month later. For one third off. All right, so that happened. D and D comics came out, 
and they are awesome. Uh, although some of them more awesome than others. Uh, the, the Dungeons and Dragons comic, get out and buy. The Dark Sun comic, it was okay. Um, it wasn't anything to, to write home about. Um, now, if if somebody's a really huge Dark Sun fan, is it good or yeah, I think it is fine. it just not up to the high quality that you're looking for? It was fine. It was just I didn't. I felt like by the end of the comic, they had finally just gotten to the story, and then it was over. You know, huh. the part yeah. the part of the story that I found was found really interesting. They had only sort of introduced in the last couple of issues, and then and then it was over, and they never really delved into the part that I found really interesting. Most of the comic was, you know, introducing these characters and sort of forming a party and surviving the desert. Like, and, and that's mm-hmm. a, that's essential Dark Sun, but that, it felt like an introduction to a series that never turned into a series. It was just a mini series that then ended. Mm. So mm. that's that's sort of where I'm at with that. There's also the they did a Drizzt um, comic, or they're doing a Drizzt comic that sort of fills in some of the this time in between a couple of the novels, um, written in part by R. I. Salvatore as well. Uh, the first time Drizzt has been done in, as an in an original comic book story. Um, it's decent if you're reading those books. It's, it's pretty good. Um, I think if you're not into Drizzt or those specific uh, novels, then then maybe you won't get as much out of it. Mm-hmm. So those are sort of the world of D and D comics. Although, cool. although we also saw the return of comics in the magazines this this last year. True. Mm-hmm. And I bet Tracy, well, and- I bet Tracy reads those. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, and many of the much older D and D comics that are being reprinted now as trade paperbacks, um, they either have been or are on schedule to be within the next year or two. That's true. I've been getting those and really enjoying them as well. So, what else? Well, to make a transition from that to another topic, uh, one thing I would uh, actually pay money for would be a set of uh, miniatures depicting the heroes from the D&D comics. And that would be an interesting thing to look for, given that uh, miniatures went through a big change in the last year. First, they were canceled. Uh, The line went away, and there were no more D&D minis being made. And then they announced the return of D&D minis at Gen Con last year. Uh, although in a different format, with a new skirmishing game to go along with it, and you, instead of buying random packs, you can buy, you know, your your what is it, you know, skeleton army or what have you. Mm-hmm. Or at least this is, this is what's been announced. We don't actually yeah. we don't actually have minis yet. But you were going to say, Tracy? I say two players enter, one dragon eats them all. <laughs> is, that, is that the tagline? I don't know. I, I'm coming up with it. I, I think we this has legs. We should should go with it. <laughs> but I thought you hated dragons. No, I hate dungeons. Oh. Dragons and dragons, that's the new game. <laughs> that's Tracy's uh, bid for the title of the new edition. Dragons and dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, so that happened. Minis. They, they were gone, and then they were announced to be coming back, and when they come back, uh, I suppose we'll talk about it. And I think the big thing there was that they're not going to come back in fully randomized packs, right? It's going to be... I thought it was going to be based around a theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is actually kind of awesome. Um, like very, goblins or orcs. Sorry. Chris, you're going to say? I was just going to say the price point is a lot different and the, the sort of the um, 
the entire scheme is a lot different. So they're they're bringing back a skirmish game, uh, and you buy in at a fairly high price point. It's like forty bucks uh, for the faction packs, but there's a lot more in there than just miniatures. I mean, there's all sorts of little bits, um, uh, map tiles, and different kinds of things. Uh, the idea being that each player would purchase one of these and then they sort of put them together to make a complete uh, skirmish. So um, I really am interested in getting a lot more information about this, of course. We don't know very much yet um, except the names of a couple of the products. Your mm-hmm. uh, faction and an undead, a drow faction, a goblin faction um, listed on the product calendar at this point. So there's still a lot to learn so along with the the skirmish game that has not been been released yet it looks like um they are trying to find more ways to give D players an opportunity to play D like games um one of the things we we talked to mike Merles about in our interview with him uh our email interview with him was you know D D branching out into all kinds of new mediums including comics but as also including video games movies board games all that kind of stuff um and he sort of mentioned you know part of the idea of that is that a lot of people pl- have played D for a long time and their life has gotten to the point where they don't have the time for it anymore but this gives them the opportunity to engage with the brand um without actually having to play a full game uh so we've talked about minis, we've talked about comics. Um, what about board games? We saw, what, two new board games in the last year or so? The Legend of Drist and the Conquest of Narath? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which of, the, who, how, which of you have played Legend of Drist? I have played Legend of Drist. Okay, what'd you think? Uh, I really enjoyed it. My uh, 13-year-old son and I have played it together for... Uh, we played... Uh, through the first uh, two or three missions um, several times. Not the solo one, but the uh, two mm-hmm. or so. Uh, go very far. And I haven't had a chance to play with a group than just two of us. You know, it's um, pretty easy to set up once you get the hang of it. Uh, it doesn't take very long to play. It almost takes longer to unpack it and pack it back than to actually mm-hmm. play through it. It was a fun thing for us to do just on a, you know, a lazy afternoon. We had an hour to kill. Yeah, right uh, on. You know, together, you know, something. Sam, Tracy, have either of you played it? Mm-mm. No. I mean, I've played some of the other ones, but not not Legend of Dreads. Which is unfortunate for you because, in my experience, because I've played all three of them, mm. and Legend of Drist, in my experience, was the one I had the most fun with. I think it took them <clears throat> three times of making the adventure system games to really figure out a way to make it, make it a lot of fun and put the the scenarios together in a, in a fun way. So I I think Legend of Drist is the best of the three adventure system board games that they've put out. I've heard that from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what about Conquest of, Conquest of Narath? Sam, have you played it? Nope. Tracy? No. Chris? No. Oh, I'm the only one who's played Conquest of Narath. And I... I want to. I love Conquest of Narath. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. And I've only had a chance to play it like once or twice. Um, and it was... it. One of the things that first got me into gaming was um, games like Axis and Allies. 
You know, and then the, the people I played X and Allies with turned into, you know, we started playing D&D and then Magic and other things and stuff. Uh, and so it, Conquest of Narath is very much X and Allies, but instead of, you know, bombers, it's dragons. Instead of fighters, it's, you know, fighter planes, it's air elementals. And then you have heroes that can go into dungeons and fight monsters and things and come out with treasure that then helps you fight the, the armies and things. Um, it's, it's sort of the perfect hybrid of X and Allies and D&D. And I just wish I had more opportunities to play it. Cool. cool. So, so board games seem like a win for the year. I'm waiting for the future section to talk about Lords of Waterdeep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, Tracy almost swooned there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, over Lords of Waterdeep? Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm excited to to get to that then. Uh, What else is going on then? We saw... Uh, we, we've seen some new initiatives and, and, and things happening over at D&D, including a, a new organized play with Layer Assault. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tracy, tell us about Layer Assault. <clears throat> it's your turn to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, Layer Assault, that, I mean, it's getting close to Thunderdome with that. But uh, basically, you players try their metal, I guess, against uh, the DM. And most... PC should die. The DM's worth their salt. So, Wait, how is that different from... Never mind, just kidding. <laughs> from the Angry DM's game? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so, have how many of you actually played Layer Assault? Not uh, me. Nope. I played in a playtest. <laughs> and I ran a playtest. So, uh-huh. But I, didn't, I didn't, haven't been able to play in the store yet. I like it. It's just a different play style. And I, and I think that's one of the cool things. So, And I know we could probably talk about this more under the future section. But they are trying to support different play styles in the store. Mm-hmm. Through the store experience. So that, I think that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the concept of organized play and then lack the... the the gumption, I guess, or, the, or the, the drive to actually do it. Like, if I could game as much in my life as I wanted to, um, I would be in the store, you know, two, three nights a week doing LFR and Layer Assault and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it turns out I have a job and a family. <laughs> so I don't make it to those things um, as often as I'd like. And maybe as, as the kids get older and I can take them to, to, to play at the game store and stuff, I, I would love the opportunity to do that. But Their first experience should totally be Layer Assault. Uh, yeah, I think so. That would make sense. <laughs> that would make sense. Although, I play with uh, the six-year-old uh, right now, sometimes on the weekend. We'll pull, pull out the dice and, and get a character together and the minis and make some stuff up. So Nice. I'm trying to indoctrinate them early. Yeah, trust me. When your kid, uh, kids are old enough to take them to cons with you, that's a sweet moment. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> So I guess that's Layer Assault. We uh, it's there to challenge people. That's the new organized play for the year or for the last year. So let's see what else. Um, should we talk about what's going on with writers and design and, and all that kind of stuff, or do you want to talk about products a little bit more? We can talk about that other stuff. Okay, so let's talk about the. Uh, What's been going on with the staff over at Wizards of the Coast? Well, there's been quite a bit of change up in the last year or so. We've seen we've seen the management team completely change. You know, uh, Bill Slavasek and, and company have sort of been shuffled out the door, and 
Um, the new blood, I guess, has sort of been brought in. They've hired Monty Cook, who, who helped design third edition, to come back and, and work for the company. You've seen the some of those changes also impact the uh, the design process, or at least the design process has been changing as well. I don't know if it... Um, at least according to our interview with uh, Mike Merles, he tried to sort of say that this wasn't all some sort of grand design. It just so, sort of happened as a coincidence that all these things were changing at once. Um, and you also saw some new blood, like uh, a lot of bloggers and things coming into the D&D website and starting to, to write columns and articles and things there. Not that we know anybody who does that every now and then. Yeah, there's been a lot of changes. It's been awesome. Has it been awesome? Are all the changes good? I mean, some of, some of those changes are people losing jobs, too, so that always uh, sucks. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on a person's general outlook in life, right? I mean, I think it sucks when someone loses a job, but, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, I mean... I. Honestly, I don't know the reasons behind a particular person losing their job, so I can't really comment on whether it was "quote unquote" right or wrong. Mm-hmm. But you know, um, I can't. You know, I, it's tough to say whether the whether the the changes were good or bad yet, because uh, if if we if we take it to the extreme and say, well, those changes were necessary in order to get the best design team and the best management team together for D&D Next. Well, I can't judge that yet because I haven't seen D&D Next. So I can't tell you whether it's good or bad. Well, I think, I mean, I'm willing to say that a a fair number of the earlier 4E decisions Mm -hmm. maybe weren't the best given the the market and the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm... I'm kind of excited that those things changed. I mean, nobody, most people aren't happy when things change because somebody lost their job. Mm-hmm. It's not a celebration of somebody losing a job, and it's kind of weird to frame it that way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I just feel that <laughs> there, there were a lot of missteps with the release of 4E, and it seems like they're addressing them and, and trying to go forward. I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, uh, like it, like both of you have said, I think anytime somebody's losing their job, that sucks. Uh, that said, is this maybe better for the game? It could be. Um, you know, I know I've always felt like Mike Merles has had a strong grasp uh, and a strong connection to the community. At least when I first met him in 2008, I felt like he he listened to and cared about the community. Um, in a way that the other people in the company were never quite approachable, you know, and, and wouldn't talk to you and wouldn't give, you know, answer questions or whatever. And so, at least in that regard, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this this is a this this change in leadership is a good change. Um, I know Monty Cook as a game designer is somebody who has a really strong um, head on his shoulders for mechanics um, and how to make them make them work. So him coming into the company, in my mind, is nothing but good. Um, you know, Monty Cook working for Wizards of the Coast again tells me there's hope to bring into the Edition Wars. See, now, I would rather not have Edition Wars. So, uh... 
Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll just I'll, I'll just say that. Like I, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, except for that last sentence, which was, you know, that you're glad Monty's on your side in the edition wars. And no, 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 my, I didn't, no, no, I didn't say that. I uh-huh. said I think him coming on board means there's hope that the edition wars will end. Oh, uh, okay. I misunderstood what you were saying. Uh-huh. You know, if they really want the edition wars to end, they should uh, hire bastard. They should hire who? Dungeon, Dungeon Bastard. Oh. <laughs> I love the Dungeon Bastard, but... He had a great video about the Edition Wars, he and did. that would just put an end to it, so... He did, you're right. Uh, I, I like the continuation of the themes that for publishing both, I think, the print products and trying to bring that into Dungeon and & Dragon as well, uh, and tying it to the D&D Encounter seasons. Because one of the things that was really hard for me, and I think a lot of people, was the uh, the way they handled the release of Dark Sun and Essentials around the same time, mm-hmm. and like it was kind of scattershot, and yeah, everybody wanted to know, wanted to talk about Redbox and Essentials, and they're like, oh, don't talk about that yet. You got to talk about uh, Dark Sun first. Mm. Yeah, and sometimes they. Wizard of the Coast gets sort of into this this mindset of, you know, this is our branding, this is our message, this is what we're talking about right now. Right. And they refuse to, to do anything else, and it drives you crazy. Right. Yeah, well, I- but that's but that's a business thing. I mean, that you know, the designers they don't have any choice in that. I mean, no, no, no. I don't blame the designers at all. That's not. Yeah, no. Nobody was blaming the designers, um, but that doesn't mean it has to be that way. Yeah, it, it, you shouldn't. Like, just shouldn't have to. Two different products like that releasing within a week or two, or at the same time of each other. Oh, I agree because what happened along with the oh, we're only talking about Dark Sun right now, and then 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 there was this immediate light switch that switched, and then oh, we're, we're completely ignoring Dark Sun, and now we're only talking about essentials. <laughs> so one of the things we saw though with new with new people and working on the company, and and it's sort of a new direction for the company, even before we saw the big change in staffing, is we saw a change in the design process. Um, and, or like, I gotta take that back. The de- change in the design process started prior to this, but we saw that change affect the products that we saw come out this year. You know, there are fewer products that they spent more time working with and get, you know, um, developing and playtesting and all these things. Um, what do we think about that change? Have we, are we okay with the fact that we're getting half as many products as we used to? I'm fine with that. Uh, the, I think the pacing recently has been better. Uh, you have a little more time to digest new stuff, for one thing. Um, and, you know, it's uh, actually it's easier, a little bit easier on the wallet, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, we can, if we can trust that there's, that means there's more attention to it, more playtesting, more, uh, more rigor behind the scenes, um, because there's not as much pressure to put it out, because they're willing to say, hey, uh, this isn't ready to go out the door, so we're not going to push it out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, you know it increases confidence as well. Um, it's hard to say exactly sort of when the fruits of that started to to really blossom, uh, but but I think it's a good change. Yeah, I would argue that I think the that the last year of D and D products has been the highest quality of D and D products we've seen since Fourth Edition came out. I agree with that. I think that's yeah. absolutely true. Now, some of the some of the the 
themes of some of the books I'm not as interested in. You know, uh, I'm not that into the Feywild. You know, so some of those things I, I'm not that interested in. But in terms of the quality of the product itself, it's it's far and away uh, fanta- been fantastic. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I I that I bought the Feywild book, uh, and I'm not I you know I'm not a huge Feywild. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have an idea that oh I want to I need to get that book because I'm going to use this in my game or whatever. And I'm not a huge Feywild fan, but the product is just. It's for the past year. It's been amazing. Yeah, and along with all that, we also saw um, a new power source. I think. I think our last power source. Definitely at this point, I think we can definitely say that we're not going to get any more power sources for fourth edition. There's not going to be a rainbow power source because I really want that rainbow and ponies. Well, given that we that we got the shadow power source <laughs> towards the beginning of the last year, um, and then the. Uh, Heroes of the Elemental Chaos came out last week, and it is not a new power source, and and very you know they very easily could have fallen into that right. Element mm. El- Elemental could have been another power source, uh, but it's not, and and I think for good reason. I think it didn't need to be, um, but at the same time they'd already sort of put out some shadow power source stuff a while ago, so they they sort of finished that one off and said, okay, here's your shadow power source, and did a bunch of books sort of surrounding that concept. And we've all been playing uh, Pixie Vampires ever since. <laughs> Th- those are vampires that really sparkle. <laughs> pixie dust! <laughs> One of my players actually made a pixie vampire. I wouldn't let him play it. Why not? Because <laughs> the concept of a pixie vampire offends me. <laughs> I will only allow somebody to play that character if it's you, Tracy. If it's me? If it's you. You are the only person that I know of that I will let play a pixie vampire. So much fun. <laughs> uh, we also saw other things happen uh, with new products. Not just <laughs> not just the new power source, but we saw the return of the box set. The box is back, baby. Are you sure? Yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've made it pretty clear that I've been underwhelmed by the uh, – I've, I've enjoyed the products. All the box set products I've loved. Mm-hmm. The boxes themselves are underwhelming and a bit of a well, disappointment. the dungeon tiles, Essentials Dungeon Tiles boxes are awesome. The Essentials boxes in general are good. The um, Madness at Gardmore Abbey, the Shadowfell mm-hmm. – those boxes were garbage. Well, and and I, I'm okay with a lower quality box. And I've said this. I, I, I hope I've said this enough times that people understand where I'm coming from. I'm okay with a lower quality box, but at least make the box the appropriate size. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. if, if you're gonna if you're gonna give me a box set with you know a, a quarter inch worth of material in it, then give me a quarter inch box. Don't give me a, a two inch thick box mm-hmm. and then just have a big empty spacer piece of cardboard stuck in the middle of it yeah i don't know so i like the concept of box sets coming back i like i like the implementation less so well i think they were sort of uh experimenting with different form factors Mm -hmm. and different you know different ways to package things and for example you have the the sleeve as well that 
like for the uh, threats to the Nintir Vale Monster Vault, mm-hmm. uh, and the what's what was the last product? Oh, the Book of Vile Darkness was sleeved, right? So they so they sort of you know I would honestly rather have the sleeve than have a box that's mostly air and spacer. Agreed. Agreed. So I, I but I think they were they were you know experimenting and trying to figure out what was best, and that's okay. I mean, I, it's not it's not a deal breaker for me, but but I do think that you know if you're going to put it in a box, make it worth a box. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the old um, second edition box sets had a lot of empty space in them, but there mm-hmm. there was enough supplemental products and stuff that I filled all of the box those boxes. You know, right? I bought enough. Right. I, you know, the Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. box had was about half empty, but then I mm-hmm. found but then I bought enough extra. Forgotten Realms stuff that I filled the rest of that box with other Forgotten Realms things. Sure, but the but the boxes for like for Guardmore Abbey and for the Shadowfell, mm-hmm. it's sort of prohibitive to take things in and out of that box because right. of the way it opens. So it's and, and what else you know, you, and what else would you put in that? I mean, I know that when I pick up my second edition of Forgotten mm-hmm. Realms box, it's full of Forgotten Realms stuff. If I were to yeah. grab the Madness of Guardmore Abbey <clears throat> box. Um, it's going to have Madness of Gardmore Abbey, and who knows what else I managed to stick mm-hmm. in there because nothing else goes necessarily with that adventure. Right. So. Yeah. Anyway. So, boxes. You want to go digital or you want to go Gen Con next? Mm. Go digital. We'll talk about Gen Con last. Okay. Um, we saw some big updates and evolution to the digital tools this last year. The The Monster Builder actually got to the point where it could build monsters. Hey. Mm-hmm. The character builder got to the point where you could customize characters a little bit. Hey. So, I mean, all, <laughs> all in all, I, I feel like the, the digital tools, um, while they still have their faults, have moved in a good direction. Yeah, but it took an awful long time to get there. Just in time for them to be obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got some. They've got some legs, and we'll talk about that as we get into the next section. But I think they'll be okay for a little while. And I think to, to preview a little bit, I think I think what we saw from the digital tools here um, in the last year gives them some experience to be helpful with the next version of digital tools. Well, I hope if they've from the digital tool experiences they have from the from the design and, and deployment of the 4e then yeah the future could be bright right what else for digital tools well i guess there's the part that mike talked about could you be oh yes what did he say <laughs> uh it's that he's gonna they're going to continue to add content through the magazines and loading materials from the books into the digital tools. Mm-hmm. And that in 2012, we should see the fruits of the labors in uh, regards to feedback on classes and races that needed more support. Mm-hmm. So they're using the digital tools to help um, guide more design as well. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, and that they're going to continue to at least support them in, in as much as they're going to feed more information into them. And, um, I'm not sure that they'll be adding new features to the digital tools. I guess this is getting a little bit into looking ahead. Um, but my speculation is that they probably won't add a lot of new features to what the digital tools can do. Um, uh, but we will see continuation of the support at the level that we currently have. Right. So. Yeah. 
And Gen Con 2011, who was there? Me. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> and the other two of you are lame. Hey. <laughs> Have a level. I don't know if you knew this, but Gen Con is the best time ever. <laughs> Just saying. All right, and that's the final word on Gen Con 2011. <laughs> Tracy, what, Tracy, what was the best part of Gen Con 2011? Getting to play Lords of Waterdeep. Which I didn't get to play. because <laughs> you're at least... I was at the same place you were that you played. Oh, no, I, 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 was no. There, I was there when your husband played. Yes. But I wasn't at the thing where you played because I'm not special. Well, you know. <clears throat> but I'm glad you can admit that now. But we did get to play Magic uh, against each other with uh, Greg Bilsland. If I play Magic against each other, you mean, oh, look, I won in three turns. And you won. Right. Then, yeah. <laughs> Well, you got Lords of Waterdeep, and I got to win at Magic. We all get something. <laughs> we also got to hang out at a bar with uh, Mike Merles and uh, Robin Laws and some of those guys. That was cool. Yep. You want to do the look ahead now? Tracy, yeah, so we got to be quick. Because Tracy, lead us in the look ahead. There's stuff coming. <laughs> <laughs> we have to be quick. Are you on a deadline? No, but uh, it's 9.30 almost, and we started around 8.30, so uh, I, we're going to be at a deadline. Okay. Well, look ahead. Of course, I'm going to be talking about Lords of Waterdeep, the most awesomest game ever. So, uh, how many of us have played Lords of Waterdeep? All right, Tracy, talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't remember most of it, other than that I had a lot of fun. It's a Euro-style worker placement game set in Waterdeep. Yep. I'm a huge board game geek, so... And that's part of the uh, Forgotten Realms. Which I'm a big fan of. Right, and you should be. And mm-hmm. it, it pulls a lot. I, I think they even... didn't. I think they mentioned at Gen Con that they pulled artwork from old yes, Forgotten Realms stuff for it. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So, and that's awesome. And you compete against each other. You can see your progress on the board, but you, nobody knows until the end who actually won because there, there are other things going on that, that are more secret. That for you uh, getting points. So you're like, oh man, my guy's ahead, my guy's ahead. And then, oh, I came in third. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So I'm really looking forward to playing Lords of Waterdeep. Um, my only concern is it's going to be yet another board game that I love and don't have time to play because I'm busy doing D&D. I hear you. No, it's going to be another Conquest of the Wrath for me. Mm-hmm. Your, your life's so hard, Jeff. This is yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. I actually might have a chance to play this one because uh, Carol doesn't really enjoy the theme of like you know Castle Ravenloft and Lord of a Shard uh, or Wrath of a Shardalon. But the the Waterdeep game being a being a more worker placement style game, I might I might be able to talk her into it. So we'll see. Hold on. And, that, and that's a good point, too, because it is D&D branching into yet another sort of venue. Mm-hmm. And if that brings more people, more interest into the, to the brand and more people into the game, then, then that's a win for me, too. So, uh, we talked about bringing back old artwork for Lords of Waterdeep, but they're actually bringing back old books, right? Right. And those, the, the first edition books, they're coming out soon, right? 
April. Okay. I know mm-hmm. my, my local game store was asking me if I wanted them, and I was like, uh, yes. I, I don't know if I want to spend the money. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. For something that I probably won't actually play. Like, I, I kind of want them for nostalgia value, to be able to look through them and to read them. Uh, it goes to a good cause, right? The money's being raised for the Gary Gygax Memorial Fund. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, so I really like the concept of getting these books. Um, I, I just don't know if I'm going to actually plop down the money for it. Boy, that's exactly where I am. I, uh, I, I, I agree with everything you just said. I have, you know, AD and D, Monster Manual, Player's Handbook, and Dungeon Master's Guide uh, on my shelf. Um, so they're not filling a gap for me because I, I have original rule books. Um, hmm. Can I just, mm-hmm. you know, that outlay on a game that I'm not actively playing? It's it's nostalgia value, but it's it's this kind of faux nostalgia because it's new stuff. I mean, it's not new new content, but a new production of old content. So, hmm. It's it's a uh, it's a it's a hard decision for me. Yeah, I'm I'm like that too. I I have two or three copies of each of those in various different shape and condition uh, on my shelves. So I don't need it, and I probably wouldn't do more than flip through it once and put it on the shelf. But <clears throat> at the same time, I if I have the money when it comes around, I'll probably buy it, and I know that because I'm somewhat of a completist, and I appreciate Gygax's contribution to the hobby and so I would like to see him get a statue so I, I would like to donate to the memorial fund however I will point out that uh, you can actually donate to that memorial fund without, without having to, to buy the books you can actually go right to their donation page and and uh, and donate directly to the fund without having to purchase something from Watsi you if you yeah Although I'm, I'm also like, I, I don't have those books. Um, I've never read the books. I've, I've heard reference of the books a lot in my days of, of being a D and D player. Um, mm-hmm. So it would be something of interest to me to be able to look through the the fabled tables and charts and you know all that kind of stuff. Because um, I haven't actually seen them before. So mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. I'll, I buy everything, so I'll probably end up buying it. <laughs> but but it is a hard decision to make because it's not cheap and uh, well what 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 you actually mean is the same thing I mean it's not a hard decision to make it's hard to admit that we're just going to go ahead and buy it <laughs> that, that may be it's, yeah that may be <laughs> which group not to buy that all right so speaking of uh, nostalgia for for D and D of yore. We also have uh, a new product that was was announced recently, uh, Elminster's Guide to the Realms. It's actually uh, Ed Greenwood presents Elminster's Guide to the Realms, where Ed Greenwood is sort of going to give us his campaign notes, as I understand it, for, uh, that was sort of the foundation that created the Forgotten Realms campaign setting, um, which sounds wicked cool to me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's us getting into the mind of one of the most famous world builders in history um, and learning about how he built that world. Cool. And it's also worth noting that that Mike Merles in our interview said that that is the one product he is the most excited to get into people's hand. And I know for a fact he's he, his first love is not Forgotten Realms in terms of settings. He's a Greyhawk guy. 
And to hear a Greyhawk guy say that the mo- the book he's most excited about in the next year is Ed Greenwood Presents Elminster's Forgotten Realms, um, I think says a lot about how cool this could be. Totally. Mm-hmm. You guys so don't love the realms like I do. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I, although I, I have to tell you that I have a a ton of respect for Ed Greenwood. I, I think he's a fantastic world builder. And he's, really a, good, and he's a really cool guy. And he's a really cool guy. And he's weird, and I like that. I've, I've, <laughs> never, I've never contacted him to ask him about an interview and had him say no. Yeah. Or anything. I've never, I've never asked him mm-hmm. for anything and had him say no. I, I mean, he even wrote an article for Temporary Hit Points mm-hmm. um, for free. And and turned it around and, and gave it back to me like within twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy is incredibly generous and fantastic. And speaking of the Forgotten Realms, there's another realms based product coming out in the next year that's been announced uh, called Minzo Branzan, which I think is going to be our big Gen Con release of the year. Is that right? Is it, isn't that about the time that's coming out? Uh, I don't remember. When it's slated to be released, actually. But you're probably right. It th- probably is close to that. I think it's coming out right around Gen Con time. So Gen Con might be like the early peak at it or, you know, getting at the same time as the premiere stores or whatever there. It'll be the thing that we're carrying around trying to get autographs for. Like mm-hmm. never, like Neverwinter was last year, right, Tracy? <laughs> right. <laughs> is, that, is, is this one the drow thing? Oh, you, oh, Tracy! You, you Tracy. hurt you hurt my heart a little bit. <laughs> yes, this is the drow thing. <laughs> oh boy, Minzo Branzan is a city. Okay, in, in the Forgotten Realms, uh-huh. that is the home of uh, many drow stories, including the that's where Driz, the famous drow. Um, originated mm-hmm. originated from. Although he hasn't been there in a long, long time, he did spend the first six or nine books um, sort of making their life difficult. Okay. So, yes, this is the drow one. <laughs> <sighs> I had a player tell me that I wasn't allowed to use drow, so that is why I ask. Did you tell him that then the, he, the players are also not allowed to use drow? Yeah. That- That's the deal? No drow in the world? No drow. Oh, okay. What if you call him Dro? I've heard people pronounce it that way. Then that doesn't make it okay. So wait, Tracy, so, was that player? Was that player Fred? Well, I think Fred also did not want Dro because he doesn't like spiders. Well, because the whole the 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 reason I say that is because as the GM, your response to a player telling you there's no Dro is we'll see. <laughs> Unless it's your husband, so then yeah, it's that Fred, was part of it. Then, okay. So wait, Brian. James worked on this one, right? Uh, probably. Probably. I don't. I'm not looking at the entry for it right now, but. And Brian's brother Matt worked on another one, didn't he? <laughs> the dun- the dungeon survival guy. What a great transition of I know. that you've set up there, Tracy. She's she's got it going on tonight. We also have the dungeon survival guide coming out uh, later this year, which is uh, I presume all about surviving dungeons. We don't we don't know too much about these yet, <laughs> and, and and other products that have, that are 
I suppose out now at this point this year is Heroes uh, includes Heroes of the Elemental Chaos. So we we know of three big new product or four new products this year: Elminster's Guide to the Realms, uh, Minzer Branzan, Dungeon Survival Guide, and Heroes of the Elemental Chaos. So which one of those four are you guys most interested in seeing? I know Mike Merle said uh, Elminster's Guide to the Realms. Um, that's probably my answer as well, being the realms geek that I am. Um, but what about you guys? Mm. Let's start with Tracy. Uh, I kind of want to see Dungeon Survival Guide just so I can make fun of Matt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. That's that's probably uh, a reasoning that's not particularly useful to the listeners, but <laughs> unless they're also all going to make fun of Matt, which you well, can, which you can. He's on Twitter. Well, I, well I go ahead. The other thing I was going to say is that it goes to a style of play that we haven't seen a ton of in 4E, and since I am new to 4E, it would be good to learn about this style of play that everyone seems to love so much. Although I'm a little surprised to hear you say that you're interested in the Dungeon Survival Guide, given that you don't like dungeons. I am going to research it for points that add to my argument. (laughs) So, so, So you're interested in this book, so you can further explain to us why dungeons suck. Well, That's so anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sam. So I'll tell you what I, I'm looking forward to the Dungeon Survival Guide because it's a theme and a type of book that's been done and redone and redone. It's been done for every edition, and it's been done by third party publishers. It's been done to death, basically, and uh, I really want to see what they what new things they bring to it. To be honest, because I'm I'm pretty positive there's going to be a couple of new things in there that are probably going to be fantastic. And I just want to see what it is. Chris? Well, I uh, hate to pile on, but I'm going to say the Dungeon Survival Handbook. Uh, as a DM, I want to know what my players are th- And if they are uh, getting strategy and options from this book, I want to know about it so that I can kill them more efficiently. <laughs> right on. And then, see, I think my... It- if I answer for myself and my personal reading, then obviously it's the it's Elminster's Guide to the Realms. Um, but if I'm talking about what book am I looking forward to in terms of what's going to affect my table, my game the most, I'm actually probably looking forward most to Heroes of the Elemental Chaos. Um, I like I like splat books, you know. <laughs> I like uh, adding new new widgets and new things to my characters and, and to the, for my players to use and what have you. And here's the elemental chaos is really the only thing we have this year that sort of feels like those old books, you know. Um, whether it be you know martial power or from fourth edition or some of the other previous editions, splat books, you know, just adding new options to players. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the book that sort of does that for for the whole year. See if if Elminster's Guide to the Realms is really like. Mm. If it's going to be like Greenwood's notes or his notes that built the framework of the realms, that would be great for me for pleasure reading. I would, mm-hmm. I'd get a kick out of that. Uh, but for for the game, I, I want to see the Dungeon Survival Guide. Right on. All right, so let's talk – before we get into the big topic of the next year, um, let's talk about the digital tools. Now, we've, we've kind of mentioned them before. Um, we sort of understand that the digital tools are going to be – still be supported at the current level. Um, I've mentioned that I, I suspect we won't see a lot of continued evolution and changes for those digital tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we do, it'll all be in experimental stuff to leading into the new version of the game. Um, now, I'm curious, as I understand it, Silver, Silverlight as a format for digital tools in general on the internet is a 
a format that, that is facing a fading level of support. Um, so, I'm cu- I guess the the new iteration of D and D maybe is a, has fortunate timing because um, they can restart and redo the digital tools from scratch for the new edition um, as support for the the baseline existence of the current digital tools goes away. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I guess we've said everything we want to say about digital tools. Is there anything we want to see come out of the digital tools in the next year? If they do continue to evolve and improve, what do you want well, to have done with them? It, I'll say this. If they are going to support the current ones at the current level and behind the scenes be developing a new a new setup Mm-hmm. Uh, in anticipation of D&D Next and in anticipation of Silverlight going the way of the Dodo Bird, um, then when they release that new thing, I want it to be more complete than the character builder and the monster builder were when they released them on Silverlight. I'll just say that. I think that's fair. You, I w- we want them to be feature complete at launch, but I right. don't... Well, I don't, maybe I, not. I mean, I want them to be... They can still evolve, but I, I want them to be very versatile and useful. I don't want it to just be a look what this might be able to do sometime in the future. <laughs> sure. Now, in fairness, though, I think that's speculation far beyond the next year. Oh yeah, yeah. No, but I'm just saying that you, you said what do we want out of the new uh-huh. out of the new tools? That's what I want. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So, should we move on to the elephant in the room? Elephant in the room. What do we expect for D and D next for the next year? In twenty twelve? Twenty twelve, maybe up through the you know, first couple of months of twenty thirteen. Well, I think um when the uh, when the sort of when the true open playtest happens, uh you're gonna see a lot of excitement building. Um and I don't know what I don't know what we would expect after that. I mean, I think I think it's gonna I think it's gonna have to be play tested for a little while before we start really seeing things uh, come out of it that are quote unquote official releases. I, I'm not sure 2012 is gonna have a lot in store for us other than the giant you know official play test opening. Mm-hmm. Right. If they really want to release the final version in 2013. Um, I think we'll see, uh, you know, big stuff and uh, near final versions, you know, later in the year. I mean, I guess we're all expecting Gen Con 2013 to be the transition point, uh, are we not? Uh, between uh, 4E and Next, maybe. Maybe I think it. I think a little bit of it depends on how well the open playtest goes. To be honest, I, I think they're they're leaving the door open for a non 2013 release. Mm-hmm. I sort of get that feeling too that that you know that may be a possibility, but that maybe they're willing to sort of hold off and see what happens. I mean, um, Murrow's talks about wanting to get as many voices as possible in the playtest, and if you're going to do that, you got to have a long playtest process, uh, and, and also wanting to sort through not letting just a few loud voices guide everything, but to get a, a, a good sense of what everybody's discussing, um, and so I think that's going to take some time. Well, you know, it really surprised me, quite frankly, that 2013 was the was a target date for publishing that instead of 2014, uh, which of course would be the 40th year anniversary. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it wouldn't hurt my feelings any if they pushed that back to, to 24. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more polls on their website. Um, mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot of them already. That's why I think we'll see more. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's... I don't know... I guess I almost want to say, ironically, that the polls feel like anecdotal evidence. <laughs> you know, It's certainly a self-selected audience, right? There are certain people that check the website and a lot of players that don't. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain people like myself who check the website but don't do it regularly enough to sometimes get to participate in the polls. You know, sure. so sometimes by the time I get to them, nobody's paying attention to them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that are you know that are built by people who, as far as I can tell, have no training in how to control. Uh, or <laughs> well, <laughs> and I, and I think that, but they can stir up conversation. Right, I think they're stirring up some conversation, and I think that um, the polls aren't necessarily intended to produce super viable statistics, but you can see some large trends that that may be useful. You know, I think the value of the polls is going to depend on what um, Wizards of the Coast wants the value to be. I, I find it hard to believe that Wizards of the Coast wants those polls to really, really tell them what direction to move in. You know, so I think if the polls are being used to stir up conversation, to get people talking about different aspects, to uh, to get people riled up and excited about what changes may happen, or to get riled up and defend what they don't want to change, then I think the polls are good and they're doing their job. I, I, you know, obviously some of the poll questions are worded really horribly, and uh, and and you know, so it's you know, it's it's definitely not you know a you know someone at you know doing a sociological experiment who's going to publish their results in an academic journal, definitely. Um, but I, I think it, it. So I guess. What I'm saying is that the, the value of them is going to depend on what they really want to get out of them. And I think just based on the responses and just what I've heard people say, they're probably getting out of them what they really intend to get out of them, which is a lot of feedback. And, you know, it also seems to me just from the little bit that I've that I've heard about uh, that the designers are trying to do a really good job of sort of wading through and finding things that are really important and that, mm-hmm. you know, they're not just listening to a bunch of trolls on one side and they're not just, you know, listening to only one section of people that speak on the other, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the big, I mean, the big thing at this moment is we just don't know very much uh, mm-hmm. we say about it at this point other than there will be a large-scale public playtest is speculation. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, we have to take them at their word, right? They've announced the the wide scale um, open play test. That we're just waiting for that to start happening. Um, you know, we know that they're trying to bring bring in, and I and, and I have more sort of information from this from the interview with Mike, right? That he's they're really excited about what's going on. They're excited about the direction it's taking. Um, a lot of interest has been raised over what's going on now. Um, he's talked about you know they've gone back and. Um, replayed every edition of the game uh, in house to sort of try to un- have better understand what is D anD D, which fits in with the whole goal of um, no more creating new editions that divide the fan base, but instead let's create an edition that tries to bring the fan base together so they can all play together, um, which I think is a lofty goal and one worth pursuing. Yeah, I agree. 
in the meantime, we all have campaigns to run right now, right? We do, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, we're going to continue covering it in the, on the show as, as with a regular sort of what are, what have we learned in the last month or so in, in about D and D next, um, but. Until then, everything's going to be about what's what's going on and what's coming out, and we're going to be talking about fourth edition. I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> Tracy, D and D next. Go. What about it? Earn your nickel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. I'm nervous, but it'll be good. You're nervous because because you got into the newer version of D and D, and this is an, an edition that looks like it's going to be embracing the older concepts. Well, and it's just more what old concepts get brought back. <laughs> but Sim dungeons. More dungeons, yeah. <laughs> Little did you know the new the new edition's actually gonna be called Dungeons and Dungeons. Dungeons and Dungeons? <laughs> I was lied to <laughs> <laughs> So you're nervous. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 interested because I've always, you know, felt bad that there were so many D and D fans out there who felt that the current edition of the game didn't support their playstyle or or what they wanted and everything. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, some of the conversations lately and the things that people have been asking to be have brought back just make me want to run away. <laughs> now that said, I mean, if they truly embrace the goal of the new edition, then that also means creating a game where the fourth edition player, like you, can be perfectly happy and comfortable playing your game. Well, but the thing is, is that the stuff that I hear a, a, a small but vocal portion of the audience asking to bring back have nothing to do with mechanics or or playstyle or anything like that. It's that they want naked pictures and and other things oh. so that's why I'm nervous well I suspect that you're not going to see a lot of nudity in any book you know given that, oh, they're, know. Given that they're owned by Hasbro oh I know but the, the problem is, is like then you're talking about negotiations right and we're already negotiating against a position that's way out there so what, what concessions get made to make those people happier is what worries me but that's Probably another discussion. Yeah. Well, and, and ultimately, that's all. We'll have to wait and see, you know? Yep. So. All right. Well, that's D&D next. Anything else to talk about? We've been, well, rec- we've been recording for an hour and 18 minutes now. I, I guess the one thing I would talk about real quickly is that I, I think a few of the books coming out this year are leaning towards having a lot of material in them that are system neutral. And that's typically what we see towards the end of an edition, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, how how end of the edition is it? I mean, as much as we've talked about how we don't know when the next edition is going to come out, we also have to assume that, that they're planning for when it's going to come out. Um, they have to have some idea because their sc- publishing schedule is pretty lengthy. Unless they're just going to have a gap of like a year of no product. Which I can't see well, being good for them. Well, the big thing is they don't want to they don't want to set an expectation and then not meet it. So yeah, that's that's why they haven't been talking about it. I understand that, but but on the other hand, if they're leaving it flexible based on feedback, um, there's a lot that needs to be taken into consideration for that. 
So that's it. Okay. <laughs> I just don't know where they're at. Um, I, I suspect that you know the guys that are working on this, uh, the team that's working on this is smart enough. Back cycle they want and well, we didn't hear most of what you just said. Mm. We heard the team is smart enough. The team is smart enough to project uh, what kind of feedback cycle uh, that they're going to use. Mm-hmm. I think probably smart enough to anticipate 90% of the feedback they're going to get already because they've already generated that feedback in-house. Sure. Uh, now they want to see how it plays in Peoria. And and so the, I suspect that in many ways this the public playtest is... Um, you know, it's, it's it, they're going to be looking for how and, and how it's rough around the edges and for which pieces are popular and which pieces are not. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's just a popularity test, um, and I don't foresee them. <laughs> we're st- <laughs> and we're still missing you. Um, but I, I no, I, I, and I think a lot of what you're saying is, is true. I, um, I think that they can anticipate a lot of the feedback. Um, I guess my the, the other side of that is I want the playtest to matter. You know, I want the voices to be heard, and in order for that to actually be functional, there has to be uh, an extended and lengthy playtest process. You know, playtest, and then develop new things, and then playtest those, and then develop new things, and then playtest those, and then, then develop new things. And then once they finally have what the final version is, we're still probably six months to a year away because that's their, their publishing schedule. You know? Well, part of the key to that is going to be timely feedback from the people participating in the playtest. Right. But that that also makes what uh, Mike Merles said in the interview difficult, where he wants to get everybody's voices and not just you know a few really loud people to to uh, dictate where the edition goes in their in their playtest feedback. And so um, some people are going to be quicker with their feedback than others, and the people who can play the game three or four days a week. Um, or can jump right on feedback or whatever um, are going to have a louder voice if that's the case. So it's it's an it's it's an interesting balance, and I'm curious to see where it goes. All right, so there's D and D next. We'll continue to cover it as as the months go on, and um, I think that's it. Anything, yeah. else, anything else to talk about? Nope. I think we covered it all. I'm good. So, uh, so we want to say thanks to our sponsor, Gamerati.com, and our two guests, uh, Chris Hurd and Sam Dunn. Are we calling Sam a guest? <laughs> she couldn't remember my name. <laughs> no, that's not what happened, but that's okay. <laughs> it was Chris Hurd and that other guy. his name at. Yeah. <laughs> that other guy who's on the show, yeah. Or, you know, suppressing a burp. It all happens. Uh, oh. <laughs> That's going on the end of the podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. It's okay. Hey, Chris. <laughs> where yes, can sir. people find you? If, you're, if your Skype will hold out, where can we find you on the interwebs? Uh, drchris.me. me. Right on. And from there, people can find Icosahedrophilia, your awesome podcast. Yeah, as well as my uh, Twitter handle, D20Philia. D20Philia. Fantastic. That's where you do your D&D shtick. That is. 
All right. And people can also contact us here on the Tome Show. Oh, I suppose we should let Sam pimp something. Hey, Sam. Yeah. Talk about RPG Musings, that website you used to write. RPG Musings is an awesome website that I am still editor of, and though I haven't written an article in several months. But I will, and it'll still be awesome. But while I'm not writing them, I have other awesome writers. That's RPGMusings.com. I, I even wrote a couple of articles there recently. That's right. See, I have awesome writers. And Aaron's been cranking it out for you. That's right. It's I pretty, know. It's pretty much his site. He just lets <laughs> yeah. the rest of us play in it. <laughs> right on. Uh, and so, The Tome Show. You can find us. You can contact us over at thetomeshow at gmail.com. And, and several of you had, and I've been uh, involved in some email exchanges there. You can call into the Tome's biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Uh, and not many people have done that. Um, but that is available as well, and you may uh, hear your voice on the air. We also have forums over at GamersHavenPodcast.com, where you can discuss things on the show uh, with other listeners. And you can, of course, find show notes for all of this and a link to the PDF of today's interview that we brought up with Mike Merles uh, at thetomeshow.com. And that, my friends, is episode 189. We've consulted the sages of lore to look back at the last year of D&D, and we've looked into our scrying pool to find the prophecy for the year to come in this episode of... I'm not a